<laughs> Hi, this is Paul. And some of you might have sort of a um, a deja vu moment, but we I ended the recording and all these other ideas started bubbling up. And and I thought, well, shoot, um, you know, we're wasting this stuff. And this can be I mean, the one video can be more of a promotion in this video. We can talk about some of these other ideas and maybe give you a sense of what this group is about. So, all right, well, go for it, people. Jacob, Caleb, did you want to start? start? With, I was going to ask Caleb, uh, can you start just by like summarizing the embodiment uh, idea? Yeah, so the, the idea that we've been exploring, um, and it sounds like uh, a lot of discussion in BOM has been about the same thing, is how do we go from like for us as artists we discuss these ideas a lot and we produce art as well but far more time is spent discussing which is very rewarding for us but um we feel like it's disembodied that we haven't really taken what we're learning and made it into something transformative for the world and for life and and so we've been exploring well how do we do that and what we've been looking at as artists is, is that our place in sort of the meaning crisis thing is artists can take things in a more abstract form and start to create embodiments of it um, in art that don't have to be as technically or maybe philosophically um, sound, but they're engaging their, um, their intuitive and um, that maybe by doing that, it's more accessible for outside audience. It's more experiential. And then from there, that might start to propel the embodiment. It might start to give people who are more technically minded or network minded or whatever um, concepts and ideas of how to start embodying what we're doing and how to start making something um, more real uh, out of this that can affect sort of the material. So that's sort of an overview of what we've I think to add on to that, you could say that if you really want to analyze an artwork with theological meaning embedded into it, you kind of have to have a good theological understanding yourself. And, you know, secular people don't really have this. So they're kind of out of the boat when it comes to, you know, experiencing religious art. Uh, and it's, you know, it's a shame because the people who don't understand it are the people who kind of need it the most and you know so it's a real struggle to try to bridge the gap between you know the artist and the theologian and the layman and i think that's uh it's also one of the things that the art discussion group is great for just to yeah just to not just understand deeper but to understand more broadly as well i guess mm -hmm. we've also been discussing like i know uh on various channels in this corner it's there's been some discussion about like onboarding and um how do we share I, all these ideas that have had such a big impact on us with people who can't spend like however long watching these videos or listening um and so the we're kind of discussing the question as to whether we can somehow incorporate our skills as artists to help to bring some of these helpful ideas or helpful ways of looking at the world um, to a wider audience or to people who don't necessarily get involved in the all the talking as much. 
<laughs> now that's that's really true because we just all we all have different gifts, and some of us are talkers, and some of us are artists. I mean, art artists. That's that's you know, it's basic theology in terms of the gifts of the spirit. So, and and this little corner has tended to be. I mean, Peugeot is is obviously an artist, but this little corner has tended to be um, expressed in the medium of thinky-talky video. And, I mean, you guys are right. That to, to put this stuff out is... is the, the amazing thing about... You know, we spend... If you listen to Verveke you know, and, and Peterson do a degree, they spend a lot of time talking about the non-propositional. Now, theology has been quite propositional in the modern period, and anything that, that tends to be conveyed by books, which has the, been the, sort of the main written text, has sort of been the main vehicle for theological work. Um, but the i mean all of us have an understanding that art in various media has a power that um that communicates quite broadly beyond just you know what written texts can do and so you know and i look you know we were just talking about film i mean film is amazing because it brings in it brings so many different media together into one as does video games and video games obviously have some of the integral nature of media, but then also the um, the interactivity. So it's it's pretty important stuff. That's um, I mentioned just now uh, before recording the study by Jordan Peterson that he he didn't conduct it himself, but he oversaw it. And uh, one of the things they notice in there is that when people engage with fiction. They apparently they their brain uses the same mechanisms as they would to perceive reality. Of course, there is a small difference in there, but you know some people say, "Oh, why bother with art? It's all about you know em embodying it in the in your own life," and that's very good, you know, to practice. But I think if you don't know what kind of example to follow, it's your art can be so instructive. And so such an example to follow, um, the study that Jordan Peterson did called, uh, well, not even do it, but called Bookworms uh, versus Nerds. Uh, it differentiated bookworms, bookworms and nerds, uh, bookworms reading fictional stories and nerds reading more technical manuals. And the uh, bookworms scored better in social interaction skills than the nerds because the fiction they engaged with in a way, help them prepare for real social interaction compared to the nerds who just gained more technical knowledge. Yeah. So, yeah, art can. Uh, there was uh, Neil Plantinga, who taught at Calvin Seminary for a while, was running a seminar where he would tour the US and Canada. And I participated in one of these. We had one here in, in the West Coast in San Francisco, where, where basically all we did was read and discuss fiction. And and Plantica believed that that was actually vital for preachers who had to craft sermons to to have that inform 
to have that inform our preaching. You know, didn't just give us illustrations, but I think the illustration you just made it, it sort of helped in the formation of our capacity to to broaden what we do. Let's say in homiletics. I think that one of the interesting things about what you're saying, Jacob, is um, sort of that idea that you run simulations in your head so that you don't have to like make mistakes and die. Like you, you sort of, that's what ideas are is um, when you think about like story and structure, I think when you, in, when you engage with it as if it's reality, if, if it's believable, if it has genuine difficulty and then it's successful, that's why like a story is so rewarding because it's like you're you're getting a, um, a mini model of what might work in reality. And I think one of the things that's very de demoralizing about a lot of modern storytelling techniques is they sort of just, it's, it's like the brain kind of paranoid making a bunch of models about how everything is negative and everything's going to fall apart and everything's going to lead to your demise behind every corner there's there's something worse there's another secret there's another terrible thing and and i think stories that are very motivating and uplifting that engage with that genuine struggle like something like rocky causes a stirring that's almost innate where it's like you want to immediately go and embody that in some way like you want to go and engage with that because on such a deep level you're seeing how engaging that model is and that it it's um, it's likely to to succeed. I think there's something really powerful about. It. And also with uh, like you mentioned rock, and it just made me think about music as well, because uh, you know good music follows a certain pattern. When the notes hit just right, that's the part that you feel rewarding, you know. And so I feel that. There's definitely a relation between what's happening with films, what's happening with uh, music, that we have this disparate generous coming out that they don't really sound great, you know, but they're but they're sort of like this messy deconstruction, um, and I feel that it just it just it that reflects in society in general. So I I see how that connects in different fields of, of art. All right. Any anything else? <laughs> I have. A, I do have one question. If, if oh, okay. Else has a question. Uh, it's a it's a philosophical concept that I think was started by the Greeks called mimesis, and uh, when I dug into it for a little project, I found that uh, Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle all disapproved of art that sort of doesn't really imitate life faithfully i guess in these in the sense that well if we engage with fiction and fiction is like reality to us in a in a way uh, then we should have fiction be imitating reality as closely as possible so that we don't get confused but of course you know the some some very beautiful pieces of music i'm thinking of mahler you know, I feel like those are more towards a kind of extravagant transcendence than merely, you know, trying to imitate daily life. 
Um, so my question will be, how do you look at this concept of mimesis? Do you believe that art should be as, as faithful to reality as possible? Are you asking me or asking anyone? Anyone, but you in particular. Okay. Someone just sent me a, um, a timestamp of Jonathan Peugeot talking to I don't. I didn't know who the guy was. The guy. I think the guy is a health motivational YouTuber or something like that. And and the guy asked asked Peugeot the literalist question. And this we deal with this issue a lot in terms of dealing with the Bible, because the modernist fundamentalist fight was all about accuracy of representation. And this continues to reverberate in 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 common discussions. There was, you know, when John when Jordan Peterson and Jonathan Peugeot had the conversation with Douglas Murray, everybody wants to know, you know, did it really happen? And Peugeot basically made the point in that video. I put it on my Vanderclips channel. Um, Peugeot basically made the the point, which I think is something that I have. I have grown in being able to talk about this in the last number of years that any any representation involves a has to involve a selection and a perspective and a point of view. You cannot have a representation without one by virtue of what John Ravakey talks about in terms of combinatorial explosiveness. And so this sort of weds with Peugeot's um Bichot's perspective, which is that there's always sort of a top-down, there's always sort of a top-down perspective. When you see a table, there's actually a, a whole group of things that come together to produce a table. Now, when you come into any representation, art artists, artists have to use particular representations to create any specific thing in the world. And and this has been true of of biblical narrative. Um, it's implicitly true even of what people would imagine when they talk about the Big Bang or evolution. You know, C.S. Lewis pointed this out in his book Miracles. All sorts of pictures flood into their head, but all of these pictures have within them implicitly point of view, perspective. Um, uh, it's a view from somewhere. So. I think there have been, I, I I know, astoundingly little about art history. That's one of the things that I wish I could go back in college and take some art history courses. But, you know, there were there were times when people tried to, especially before the advent of photography, tried to create um, things as realistic. I think about what Vermeer in the Netherlands, you know, it, it astoundingly... See, but 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 once once you once you recognize that there's a, there's no view from nowhere and there's always a view from somewhere, even the idea of accurate or representation gets really complex because there's always selection involved. So, um, I, I would imagine that for some to have a representation that intentionally refuses to help the participant in the art 
do so naively might have value because if you, you know, for example, there's a picture, let's say there's a picture in a newspaper of an event and a description in the story of the event. We in our culture tend to participate in that naively because we think, well, that's what really happened. And so therefore we sort of prioritize this one perspective or point of view and not recognizing that in some ways in modernity, when we say what really happened, we are sneaking in this, again, this is a postmodern observation. We are sneaking in this implicit priority of perspective. And so art that at least acknowledges and owns the perspective it's using and sort of breaks the viewer out of this naive posture perhaps as value. I don't know. That's, I don't know if that makes any sense. I think it makes sense. I, uh, I agree completely. Wow. And I think you could even say that, you know, the Christian story transcends genre. It's more than a comedy. It's more than a tragedy. And you could even say it even transcends Mimesis versus anti-Mimesis. Mm -hmm. As an I'm, animator, I'm... when you learn to draw, you have to you have to learn like which details matter, which is probably the hardest part. Because like in some ways, it's easier to just draw what you see exactly. But um, when you're drawing a character, if you don't know which details are actually important. And they're like they can be like really small details, like the width of a line in a certain part of the face. It's not going to look right, and so it's more about like finding the patterns that are deeper in some ways. Um, it's the same with like caricatures and stuff. Like why, why does this difference make it not look like the person? Well, exaggerating this, it still looks like the person. It just looks a little exaggerated. So it's like. I don't know. I look at it when, like, when we're writing stories, it's probably the same. Like, does it adhere to the deeper patterns? Um, and that—that's something that's I've learned a lot from Peugeot as well. I—I I feel like so. Yeah, whether it's realistic in the sense of style is not maybe as important. Well, I'm I'm curious with this Mimasis idea. Is it when it's talking about? you know art that is realistic is it is it is it in the sense of realism as like like recreating something completely accurately or is it in re reflecting does it accurately reflect life or is it something that is sort of maladaptive because that's how i understood it when you were discussing it i was thinking of like um the allegory of the cave and sort of I think about the allegory of the cave a lot when I think about film because you can easily as a filmmaker end up in a trap where you're you're luring the audience in and giving them a show and kind of getting them addicted to the show and then they forget about real life. And that's something I think of as an artist is a, a lot because it's not something um, I want to do, but it's something you would have to do if you're approaching it in sort of a consumerist, keep the audience kind of way. But I think like really good art is the art that is so true to life even if in the details it's absurd is so true to 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 the real life and reality 
that when you leave the film, you're more thinking about your own life and you're more thinking about changing something in your life than about the film. It, like the film left you with something and sort of told you to get out of the cave. I like, I think that's where, how I took it when you were making this distinction is the difference between something that consumes you and something that helps you get a, a huge hit of reality in a, in a tiny dose so that you can find your place again and sort of adapt again to life. If, if I remember correctly, because it's been a while, I think like what those Greek philosophers were speaking out against is kind of, you know, plays with a lot of spectacle and weird masks that the actors were wearing and um, just, you know, using, uh, speaking melodically. I think one of the things that they mentioned is that speaking should be monotone because you're just saying the words. Hmm. Uh, so I think, I think you're right. It's bad for someone to get lost in the story, but primarily because the story might not be, you know, uh, representing or reflecting reality in a useful way to them. It's just making them unprepared for reality. And I think maybe, yeah, you can use those kinds of exaggerations to emphasize certain parts, but I think it's tricky. I think it's a fine line. Uh, it, it's remarkably difficult. I mean, we so blithely talk about real life, but if you sit down and, well, you guys do it all the time because you're artists, but if you sit down and try to think, well, what, what on earth am I talking about when I talk about real life? And Peugeot makes this point quite well often. You know, most of most of what I've done today, if let's say you put a PV cam, PVK cam on me, would be remarkably benign and dull. You know, there's eating, there's bathing, there's sleeping, there's getting around from place to place, there's doing chores. Um, but, but you know, maybe in the meantime, I'm thinking about things. It's this, I think we tend to be, we tend to be shaped by, we're clearly shaped by the representations that are among us. And so when we see a photograph we we tend to okay well that's a photograph and and the truth is now we know also know that what our eyes are seeing is not i mean our our eyes are just tiny moving very very quickly in a bunch of different things to fill out the pattern we see this image in front of us and so then we try to represent that but that's not actually you know in terms of what our eyes are seeing and we're we're finding this out now especially as we have you know more and more sophisticated cameras in these phones that the, these these phones are constructing an image for us. And as we have various phones in competition with each other, I mean, the Pixel phone and the Samsung phone and the iPhone. And I mean, part of what we're wrestling with is the fact that this we are increasingly realizing that that experience is way more complex than we ever imagined it was. And there's lots of reasons for that now. And so, yeah, yeah. I think the best example of, of how complex reality is, is the book of Revelation <laughs> or anything that has to do with apocalyptic literature because it's supposed to be an unveiling, right? So it is perhaps like even more real than, you know, the events in the historical sense. 
these unveiling shows what is really going on. And when we see uh, the images of these visions, they are quite trippy, right? So people, now for a lot of people cope by saying, well, this is, has to be some sort of like a mushroom trip or something because, you know, it's like a hallucinations, you know, whatever. But uh, those things are more, are perhaps more real. They're like what's behind the veil that we don't normally see. But these crazy images tell us things that are that are more real than you know than the things that that we think that we see, and we we really don't, you know. Yep. So I think that considering how trippy those things are, I think I've, you can feel safe uh, um, considering that uh, those surreal images can really tell us more about life than you know the realistic images. I, I've long noted that. If you go on, let's say, Google image search and you search for, you try to search for people's attempts to draw or visually create images from the book of Revelation, once you look at their attempts, you very quickly realize that a lot of what's in the book of Revelation, you can't draw. I, it doesn't work. And, but it, it sort of works on the page. But you can't manifest it in a two-dimensional image. And so, and we see this all the time with sort of Jesus movies. And then there are these movies that try to, they're going to stick to the text as much as they can. But there's, you, you can't do that because there's a whole world that isn't in the text in the New Testament that you have to fill in. So, you know, one of my favorite attempts at a biblical representation was this attempt to um, deal with David and Saul in this NBC series called Kings, where they, you know, we're not going to have everybody running around with bathrobes out in the desert. We're going to, you know, we're going to set this in some fictional place with tanks and, and all of this. And you know, it was, I thought it was a, a really noble attempt, but of course people have been playing around with this with Shakespeare and how many other things for a very long time. But it's, uh, I think again, in modernity, part of what we wrestled with was our imaginations have been so informed by specific technologies that reality we assumed was a certain way. And, and that's all breaking down. I mean, what else can get uh, Christians to talk about reenchantment and pagan gods and that kind of stuff? Who have thought that? Well, here we are. But you know, it's it's like we we have to you know we are we have gone so far astray that you know people don't just realize that the everything that they make is religious already. So, for example, in my in my channel, I try to analyze different works. You know, works you know that are. Um, you know, what you would call secular or whatever. And, uh, but I'm surprised when I start like digging into them and trying to really think about them, like, wow, I'm seeing a lot of things that uh, conform to this pattern and, and, you know, even, even it's logo centric and all that kind of stuff. Very often you're going to see errors, um, but, but it's, it's amazing how much uh, they're doing in regards to religious experience in their art, but that they're not aware of it. Yeah. Um, so I think just making people aware of it's like kind of like the big step. And uh, yeah. 
And then once they're aware of it, who knows where we go? Because there was, to a degree, a sort of comfort that I think people felt in modernity being tethered to sort of a physical communal assumption and agreement. And now that that's giving way, yeah, it's going to be interesting. That's why it's good that it's uh, uh, people with a Christian mindset trying to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Before before somebody else comes in, you know. Yeah, well, it's going to happen all at once. All right. Um, well, that was an interesting conversation. Any, anything else you, you want to bring in before I stop the recording again? <laughs> Well, maybe that's a good place to land the plane. So, hey, look at this. I got two videos out of it today. So, again, send me any links that you want me to put in the notes here. All right. Can I plug my channel? You may plug your <laughs> channel. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to put it on the, on the chat then. On the... Okay. Is that it? That I mean, would be fine. Know. Let me open up a... Let's see... There's the channel. All right. All right. Thank you. I will. I will include that. Good. And again, just send me an email. Any of you want to plug anything else that you want me to put in the notes, feel free. All right. Absolutely. I will just add that uh, in, in addition to the United States time zone meetings for the art group, uh, we also have a European meeting because it's 1 a.m. for me right now, and those meetings were from quite late in the night. So to to cope with that, we uh, started a European or African time zone meeting. Awesome. Well, that's good to know. All right. Thank you all. Thank, well, thank you. you. Thank, thank you so you. much.